saying, well, I like my meat actually dead, you know, or something like that, uh, indicating that, you know, if it's Mine's rare, still mooing. And it's, yeah, that's right. You can still hear the cowbell. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Balzamo, and uh, looking forward to diving in. How are you this morning, Tom? Doing well. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. I'm, I'm really excited about the, the great questions that we have coming up uh, from our uh, listeners and patrons. It really uh, is exciting. But before we jump into that, I just want to thank our patrons, all of them over at patreon.com slash reason together that team up with us to um, to support uh, this venture. We really appreciate your investment, especially in difficult times like this. And uh, so hope you especially enjoy. If you're interested in the after show, maybe receiving a, uh, well, not maybe, for sure, receiving a free uh, podcast t-shirt, uh, you can uh, sign up at the elite patron level and uh, have access to both of those things. But if you say, you know, I just can't quite uh, do the elite level, but I would like a t-shirt. Uh, in fact, two of my kids wanted one for Christmas and uh, and got one. You want to sport off uh, a nice t-shirt with the Recent Together logo and uh, title on it, then uh, we would be glad for that. They are available through our website, recenttogether.fm. And uh, there's a number of ways to support us there. And one of them is to buy a shirt. So feel free to uh, jump on there and uh, send your order in. Yes, we'd appreciate that. If you'd like to become a walking billboard for Reason Together, <laughs> uh, um, you can buy a t-shirt. We actually have an order of t-shirt blanks arriving today. A whole new yeah. run of them that we're going to be printing uh, and have ready to ship to you as soon as you buy them. So uh, ReasonTogether.fm and look for the support tab. Um before we get into the questions, I wanted yeah. to show you this because yeah. um, you're my friend and I like to show you cool stuff when, when it happens. So yeah, this, uh, this right here, I don't, the listeners of course can't see this, but you can see this. Can you yeah. describe what you're seeing here? Uh, it basically looks like a uh, block of, I would guess maybe it's some sort of a metal. Um, yes. It's just, it, it's uh, yeah. It is, it is. It is metal and it's probably... An inch and a half thick in mm -hmm. this dimension and probably two inches thick in this dimension. Yep. And then it's maybe four inches long. <clears throat> yeah. And what this is, this, this someone from my church gave me this, a guy from church who actually is also one of our elite patrons, um, oh, wow. which is awesome. And uh, he builds submarines for a living. <laughs> For the U.S. Navy. I mean, oh not by goodness. himself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one man assembly line. Gene, I've been working on this one for forty years. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would be pretty cool. But I mean, it's cool enough that he it takes part in building submarines for the Navy, and they get these cutoffs from when they weld the rings of steel together for the outer wall. Oh, wow. of the submarine they have to trim it flush before they weld it and they get these little cutoffs this is a piece of steel from the outer wall of the uss idaho which is being built right now oh neat yeah wow. and it's hy80 carbon steel <clears throat> i don't know the percentage of carbon uh, i have to figure that out yet before i can actually do something with it but i'm i'm going to try and forge something out of it i don't yes. know yet what but i'm going to make something out of a piece of a submarine Yes. Neat. I thought that was really neat. cool and uh thought I'd share that. Yeah. With that you. was that is neat. But yeah. uh maybe you could like get a mold of a little submarine and like 
or yourself like a mini submarine out of submarine anyway okay like cast it <laughs> yeah yeah but not that it'd be useful for much but no <clears throat> anyway um boy we uh t- i am excited about this do you have a preference or do you mind if i uh i jump go in? ahead just uh question your little heart out there <laughs> okay we really do have some great questions and i don't uh so if you don't uh, uh, listeners and patrons, if you don't get, hear your question this time, hang with us. We'll get to it. Um, we're only going to have so much time this morning to uh, to cover some stuff here. But this one was asked <clears throat> to me just recently, and there's really two related questions. One I had thought of and one that this uh, patron had thought of. And so the scenario was set up this way. Um, if, because this actually happened, not, and that's not a hypothetical here. Um, if you say go out to eat with uh, with someone uh, who claims to be Christian but really doesn't evidence uh, evidence it in their speech or demeanor, or whatever, um, do you make a point when you're out eating as a group to pray over for the meal? The question being asked because of this, if uh, you know say I, as a person, I typically pray for my meal and, and they mm-hmm. would, they would join with me, um, uh, and doing that, uh, we would pray for the meal, but then I'm not sh- really sure that, you know, foul language isn't going to fly during the, during the meal, given this particular group of people. And so someone listening on might say, oh, they prayed for their meal and now they're cussing, you know? And it would be a poor representation of Christianity, in fact, a poor testimony of what I would want to be represented. So should I not really pray at all? I mean, should I not really even invite the group to pray so as not to set that image of Christianity before the conversation <laughs> ensues for the rest mm. of the meal? Well, what's your take on that? So, so the question is, should I lead the group in praying or should I pray by myself? I think, it, I think, I think it's more be saying, well, lead the group in prayer, I guess, to say, hey, let's, you know, let's pray for the meal. If I try to pray personally, you know, they, they could potentially say, oh, hey, wait, wait, let's pray for the meal, you know, noticing that I am. But, yeah. but ultimately, should I lead the group in prayer or even, you know, kind of assume, because, you know, typically, I guess, if yeah. you're with a group of people that, professes to be Christians, maybe you'd sort of expect that. And, you know, that would be part of the thing. But if you, if <laughs> you'd, you know you'd be surprised, that, yeah, well, maybe so. And, and, but if you know, I guess the, the thought being that typically we might pray, or this is what we do at home, that this group, you know, gathering together at home, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, extended family, that's what we do at home is pray. But when we go out, um, I'm afraid that what's going to be represented in the conversation wouldn't always be what I would want to be the picture of Christianity. So should yeah. we just sort of order the food and go on? Well, um, I guess you're going to have to read the room uh, to some degree, because if you're talking about a group of professing Christians who likely does pray before they consume food, and in this case, maybe it's not um, a super consistent habit and they simply forgot you know, you reminding them by asking to pray before you eat, they might take that quite well. Um, oh, thank you for reminding me. Oh, that's a good idea. You know, let's pray. Um, another scenario might be where they're professing Christians, but they're, you know, quite backwards, uh, quite, quite carnal. And right. that's you, how I read the question. Yep. Right. And you reminding them to pray before a meal 
is more like a rebuke, no matter how nicely you say it. Um, and in, in some cases, it might be better just to simply pray on your own in front of everyone, you know, just excuse me, folks, I'm just going to pray for my food. You know, in that case, you're, you're giving sort of a, a sidestepped rebuke. You are giving in a sense a rebuke, um, but you're not imposing it on others as a rebuke. You're simply rebuking with the use of your character. Well, in that case, you could simply just bow your head and pray quietly and, and right. not, not, not an announce at all that you're going to do it. But I think right. That- but like if everyone's talking and everything, you know, just bowing your head suddenly without warning is, is kind of odd. You know, you might just, uh, you know, put up a finger, say, excuse me, folks, I'm just going to pray for my food real quick, yeah, I see you know, and, and thank okay. the Lord. But I don't think the concern was so much offending the family, but that the family would sort of, because that's maybe what they do at the holidays, whether it's because of the patriarch or the family or something, they just kind of know that they're going to pray for the meal. And that's sort of what's expected here with these uh, other Christian relatives, but you know what I mean? Not that it's a habit of theirs, but they do it and they'll tolerate it and that's fine, whatever. It's part part of the gathering. So they wouldn't be offended that you would ask to do it. It's just that you may not want to do it because now you're in public and you're afraid that it's after the prayer, their behavior is going to be... So I see. So, so in a sense, you're afraid that if you lead the group in prayer, who's then going to go on to live like the devil in front of you, you feel like in a sense, you're sanctifying their behavior. Or you're presenting to people around that don't know you that are listening in this yeah dichotomy that, oh, they prayed. So they're Christians. Oh, and mm-hmm. they're this kind of Christian or the Christians yeah. do this or something like that. I, I can see, I can see that. I guess part of me in such a situation just kind of gets frustrated and I'm just thinking, you know what? I usually pray before my meals. I want to thank the Lord before my meal, and I just—I don't care what other people think. I'm just gonna—I'm just gonna do it. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I mean, because here we're, we're worried about how the family's going to perceive this. We're worried about how everyone in the restaurant is perceived with this. And it's like image, image, image. I'm just yeah. gonna pray if I want to pray. Yeah, and I don't you think know? it's so much caring about what the family thinks of it, though. I think the best option is what you said earlier is. Uh, not praying for them as a group, just saying, excuse me, I'm going to pray for my meal and praying silently. Right. But not if you pray audibly, like out loud, now the group kind of has to sort of, you know, be quiet and they're all sort of quote unquote praying with you. Um, right. And, and just, each one of them, your thing. and each one of them is slightly offended that they didn't think of it first. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, I mean, if they're professing Christians, they might be. In a sense, you've rebuked them. Yeah. Um, so so I've, I've got another question about prayer here. Okay, um, go ahead. That I had thought about, um, and this is kind of a longer story, just a little snippet. But anyway, I was approached by some Mormons recently, and uh, and I, I, w- I would like to talk to them, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um. And but I thought, okay, so I was just picturing in my head, in my head what, what if I was talking to them and I said, you know, at the end of our meeting, I mean, I literally felt like I would, you know, could invite them in for coffee or something. Some people would be like, oh, no, you're not supposed to, you know, countenance them, supposed to slam the door, or whatever. But if I, you know, tried to witness to them or tried to put a stone in their shoe and and talk, you know, ask them some pointed questions and, and get them, you know, talk <laughs> talk theology, um, obviously with the intent to disrupt their thinking and um, mm-hmm. get them to think. If I got to the end, maybe this just isn't a good idea at all. And I said, um, let me pray before we go. Um, what if they said, I got done praying and they said, let me pray. I thought, whoa, what, what I, 
what would I, what would I do if a cultist started praying, um, started praying? And then I got to thinking, kind of extending that out, because in America, yeah, I can go make a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, in America, we we might pray um, in a public setting, and yeah. we expect people to be respectful, if not to join in. Whether mm-hmm. it's uh, or you know, certain, and maybe it's not prayer, but in certain events, we do something Christian, and mm-hmm. we expect the culture to kind of go, "Oh, okay, I'll stand here respectfully." You know, and we might make fun of them. Oh, you know, you're offended by, you know, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance or uh, or the Bible in the classroom. Come on, you know, blah, 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 blah. But if the shoe were on the other foot and now they're praying and I'm like, well, I don't at all agree with you. You know, this this is this is not so, I, I don't want to countenance this, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. What should what, what would be uh, obviously to avoid it? I could not pray at all, you know. But what if what if the, I didn't even pray and they said, "Hey, let's pray before we go." What would be your thought on that? What would you do? Would you be like, "No, um, I'm not really comfortable with that," or would you say, uh, "Go ahead and pray," and you would just sit there with your eyes open? Like, That's probably so what I would do. Yeah, so you wouldn't disrupt them or deny them, but you wouldn't necessarily participate either. Yeah, that, that's probably what I would do. Um, again, it's hard to know because I've not really found myself in that scenario and I don't often find myself wanting to lead in a prayer with unsaved folks anyway. Um, Mm -hmm, and and, you know, mm -hmm. for, for a large majority of them, my guess is that if there are unsaved people who tolerate, you know, you praying out loud in front of them or leading in a prayer, it's likely because they don't really have much of a belief system in place anyway, to where anything you're doing would offend them. Uh, they might even consider themselves to be a Christian, and and in, especially in that sense, they wouldn't feel offended if you prayed. But it's largely because of ignorance or or no understanding that they're they're not really offended at what you're doing. Whereas you, on the other hand, with a theological system already in place, you know, just the thought of an unregenerate person praying and you following along in prayer with them just seems anathema. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so it's kind of. It, yeah, the, yeah, the, the root cause is because you have things you believe already. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I would probably do what, what you mentioned is just, you know, okay, you can go ahead. <laughs> I'll just sit there. And like I said, you know, maybe get up and go make a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I'm probably sitting there, Tom. <laughs> I, I, I probably wouldn't do that. Um, but that, that would be kind of rude. But I, I'd probably just sit there with my eyes open. You demonstrate going, respect, uh, but not agreement or not participation. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. right, There we go. Um, Another uh, question here. Um, I thought this was a good question by Omar. He says, many times when, and you're going to totally understand what he's saying here. Uh, You can summarize it too, if it's too long. It's it's kind of a longer question. Sure. And you're going to have to explain part of it to me in the middle that I didn't quite get. But he basically was saying, you know, uh, sometimes people in our uh, circles or, or we, we're familiar in our circles with someone um, accusing of legalism. Mm-hmm. And some of us, particularly maybe those like myself who care about the definition of words, do want to clarify, you know, and we say that's not legalism. Legalism means trying to earn your salvation by keeping the law. It's a mm-hmm. it's a means of salvation, which that adheres to a legal code, that idea. So what we're pointing to is uh, that's not legalism. Legalism is this. 
And he right. says, while the answer may be technically true, I feel is often used as a way to invalidate the accusation and avoid answering the real issue a person's talking about. Um, what, what he says, what is meant by, quote, legalism in that situation is a very real problem that can be prevalent in our circles. Um, here's, and here he says the problem's twofold. Number one, enforcement on others. Um, uh, we're talking, not that he's saying, I, look, I, you know, I strongly believe in personal standards, but when we enforce them um, on other people, uh, that's part of the issue. And then number two, he says a litmus test of spirituality. And again, mm-hmm. not that we shouldn't have standards, but we say, well, if you don't rise to my level or you don't hold my exact standard, then then you're not, you know, that equals you're not yeah, spiritual. That's um, probably the bigger one of the two. Okay. And so I, th- but what he's saying is, uh, so they say that's legalism. We go, no, that's technically not legalism. Okay. Okay. But don't sidestep the issue. What are they addressing? What do you call it? And I appreciate that question. It's not saying, how do we define yeah. this word? It's what's the right word? What right. they're addressing something in so many people's attitudes that, uh, that I'm trying to look at his first one again, you know, is that I have a standard and I judge number one, I try to impose it on you, but even more so I, I judge you by my standard, by my, uh, and I'm mm-hmm. by standard. I'm, yeah, I mean, my application of you know, certain principles of how I ought to live. And if you don't live exactly like I live, then you are less than I am, you know? And so they're recognizing yeah. that attitude, that judgmental attitude. Um, what do we call that? If we don't call it legalism, yeah, I thought that was a really good question, yes. and uh, I it was on our patron forum, and I commented on it, and I just said, you know, I have to formulate my thoughts on this, but I want to see what other people think. Yet nobody's commented on it yet. I was, <laughs> I'm going to see, like, somebody give me something. Somebody give me something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, so folks, go on there, have a conversation. Um, if you're a patron. Um. Yeah. Uh, so in thinking through it, in one sense, the word legalism in a sense does fit, but it's not a perfect fit. And, and I think that's why the word is often thrown out. So I wonder if maybe keeping the word legalism is fair, but modifying it. So my first thought was like Christian legalism, but I didn't (laughs) like it. It didn't, it didn't roll well, you know, off the tongue. It just seemed clunky. I I didn't like it. Um, And then the other thought I was thinking was actually based on a, a book that I read uh, years ago by Tom Hovestall um, called Extreme Righteousness, um, Seeing Ourselves in the Pharisees, Okay, in which okay. he makes the case that there is a comparison sometimes between Christians and the Pharisees, even though Christians are saved people and the Pharisees were unsaved people trying to earn salvation with works. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, uh, so I thought, well, maybe we just call it extreme righteousness. I thought, well, that didn't seem right either. And... And then I thought, okay, why don't we just call it image-focused separatism? Mm. And that seemed to roll off the tongue quite well, and it seemed to cover the basis for me. Maybe you can critique it and find a way to improve it. Um, But I thought image-focused separatism sort of fits both of the scenarios that Omar suggests. The first being enforcing our extra-biblical standards on others, because let's be honest, some standards are extra-biblical. Um, mm-hmm. and the other option was we use our, our extra biblical standard as a litmus test for someone else, which I personally think is probably more common. Um, there, there may have been a, a day 
you know, not in the too distant past where enforcement on others was more common in independent fundamental Baptist churches. Um, and it was very, very brazen, very open, you know, forcing others to abide by particular standards that were extra biblical. That's sort of fallen out of favor, though some places still do it. Uh, we've moved more to a more silent and unspoken type of enforcement in which we use our, our extra biblical standard as a litmus test um, and, and silently judge each other. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's, that's a skill our circles have. Um, so yeah, image-focused separatism, it, it implies that Okay, there is someone who has standards in their life. They are separatist. They're separating from something, right? Which isn't bad, right? Um, there are ways that right, separatism right, can right, be bad, sure. um, but it's not in and of itself a bad thing to to be separate. Uh, I believe there's a biblical case made for separation. Um, but image focused has a lot to do with what Omar is hitting on. And that is, okay, we're enforcing it on others because what we view is, well, they're not doing what I'm doing. Or mm. we, we use it as a litmus test. So it's all image focused. And the reason why oftentimes people with that sort of behavior separate, what it often comes down to, and this might make some people angry, is not actually biblical separation. They're separating really for their own personal pride. They're separatists really for their own self-aggrandizement. And, and the reason why I believe that is because of how they use it. They use it to impose on others or judge others as a litmus test. So there is very much an outward focus of their mind. You know, you're not as good as me. You're not doing what I'm doing. Uh, you know, you need, I'm in charge here. You need to abide by what I say and so on. So there, it's very much pride focused. So I think it's image based, image focused separatism, I think is, is a good one. I think um, the word that I would come up with after stewing through it, I, I see what you're saying um, because the image has so much to do with uh, it. And yet I think part of the core of the issue um, is maybe not just that I care about the image, but that, um, but that I am the standard. Um, mm -hmm. It's my standard that becomes the standard of whether you're spiritual. And so I would basically call it self-righteousness um, is that yeah. I have become the standard of how someone or whether someone is righteous. Um, and so, and that's my, you know, my standards and my applications and the things that I have chosen to abide by to reflect, you know, ultimately, again, those standards should be in place and they really are in place for everyone. And, and I think that could go both ways. And what I mean by both ways is people can say, uh, your, um, you're legalist because you have a standard that you're trying to impose on me and by which you judge me. Well, honestly, I would imagine that people who don't hold our standards that are, if we say, a looser, broader, non-separatist evangelicals probably look at us and judge us too and say, mm -hmm. well, you're not, you're not as uh, effective for God because, uh, and I cast you down in my eyes because you're hyper-separatist. Well, that's a judgment call. And the point is that if they're making their non-standard, or actually it's their standard, their lower standard, the standard by which I'm judged, well, they're doing the same thing. They're just doing it in reverse. So it's still a self-righteousness. The point is that we have to look to the scriptures and yeah. say, how is a man righteous? And how is he 
to be judged and governed right. in his own conscience. And so, well, I mean, you I mean, know, to, just to push back, to push back a little bit. I mean, in, in what you said there, you, mm-hmm. you asserted that their standard was lower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now we haven't picked out a particular standard necessarily, but we're talking about extra biblical standards, right? We're not talking about things that are clearly in scripture that are meant to, to, you know, be a pass or no pass, you know, go or no go. Um, we're talking about things that the Bible doesn't directly give us a statement for that we sometimes place a standard in our lives to protect us from actually going toward the thing that the Bible actually has a go or no go statement on. And, and that's where, where Christians fall into trouble is making their extra biblical standard into, you know, suddenly, well, your standard's lower than mine. Does that make sense? Um, I, I think so. It, you were making, we're making the fence, the cliff. And if my fence is drawn in further than yours, it's, uh, mine is better, even though they're both fences are keeping us off the cliff. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Right. So, so, so saying, you know, well, your standard is lower than mine. Well, that, that well, may be the exact problem Omar's trying to, to draw out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but in some ways there has to be some, and, and I see what you're saying, but also there has to, again, be some way to describe it. Would we say tighter, um, uh, uh, stricter, you know, I mean, it is that obviously, because if there's less that we feel like we can do, then it's a stricter standard. Maybe we don't want to call it mm-hmm. higher, lower, but maybe a stricter, yeah. looser, because if I build a fence and, and, and 20 feet away, you build a fence, there's got to be a way to delineate whose fence is closer to the cliff. Or, or are mm-hmm. you saying we basically don't know whose fence is closer to the cliff? No, I'm not saying we don't know. I'm just saying that, you know, the, the words that we choose for that oftentimes have a moral component, you know, yeah. that someone yeah, who's higher, part, part, higher, yeah, lower. higher, higher versus lower or, you know, looser versus tighter. And so on. they have a moral component where we're calling someone less moral than we are, even <laughs> though they're still maintaining the same righteousness that we are, you know, you know what I mean? Um, and, and that kind of sort of leads into, and, and, and there's another question, actually, one of the patrons asked that's going to deal with this in a minute, but before we get to it, there's, there's kind of a word that I think fits better. And that is the idea of weaker or stronger. Hmm. Mm. Now there is a moral component to those words too, but those are the biblical words because one of our patrons is going to ask a question about meat offered to idols, right? Or yep, particularly right. Uh, bloody meat, as, as he right. says, rare, rare meat. Because, uh, and this was a surprise to me, some Christians actually have a moral issue with eating red meat that is rare oh, yeah. hmm. or medium rare, as he mentions in his question. But I think it was in Romans 14 that's referenced where there's the one, the brother with the weaker faith and the stronger faith. And the context was that there were Jewish Christians now <clears throat> who'd lived their entire life with very strict standards. And then in come Gentiles, and they're coming into the synagogues now, because in the early days of the church, they met in synagogues. And there are Gentile converts coming into the synagogues. They're oftentimes found now together and sometimes even having meals together. And to the Gentiles, it was no big deal to eat certain things. That was part of their manners and customs. <clears throat> and one of the admonitions of the early church leadership, um, case case in point, Acts chapter fifteen, the Jerusalem Council, uh-huh. um, basically Paul's much of Paul's writings on the subject in in Romans fourteen, and I think also in First Corinthians, <clears throat> was that the Gentiles with the we might say looser standard 
if we're going to say it that way, and I'm just using it for sake yes. of illustration. Right. Uh-huh. They were to be careful about offending the Jews with the higher standard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And not looking down on them. But the interesting thing is the one who was called weak in faith was the Jewish brother who felt that it was righteous for him to avoid certain dietary things. So the guy with the stricter standard, the tighter standard, was the one weak in faith. That's 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 mm-hmm. how the language is there, right? <clears throat> and one was not to look down on the other. So the guy who would eat the meat was not supposed to look down on the guy who was strict about the meat. Say, oh, look at that legalist over there. He won't eat this meat. You know, look at him. Mm-hmm. He's just too strict and he's a fundamentalist and all this other stuff. Um, <clears throat> and likewise, the guy who was strict about eating, not eating the meat, wasn't to look down at the Gentile convert who was looser, quote unquote, in his standard. Because both of them, neither of them was doing anything wrong by either eating the meat or avoiding the meat. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? But oftentimes as it is now, and we can transfer this exact thing to many of the modern day extra biblical standards, Christians who have extra biblical standards and believe it is morally right for them to hold that standard and someone who doesn't hold that exact standard is lower than they are, they're doing the exact same thing and they have identified themselves as the weak in faith brother. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. So so, so you're saying, yeah, drawing out the, we, the biblical term is weaker and stronger and yet we may not always... Uh, appreciate where we fall <laughs> in that right. definition, yeah, and uh, and that's a and that's a, of course a discussion that we could dive into more, which we won't right now. But the whole yeah. concept of the weaker and the stronger, and what and, and the conscience there, and and uh, you know, yeah. it's a Romans fourteen, um, yeah. So it's good, but can we? You want to transition now into that question that he was yeah. asking specifically about that. Sure, we could. That was uh, the question on eating blood, and that was from Nathan. And I think it actually ties in also to another question by one of our other patrons, uh, James. (laughs) (laughs) They're kind of like paired. It's like, do they conspire? I think I think our patrons are conspiring. Mind mind link. (laughs) If you'd like a mind link with this group of people, you become an elite. So, so here is Nathan's question. He says. uh, Uh, Hey there, here's a question that came up in my personal Bible reading. Following the flood in Genesis 9, God is apparently telling Noah that all creatures are now food for him. He follows this up by saying that he should not eat flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof. He says, I know the command to abstain from blood is repeated numerous times at a much later date in the Jewish law. Deuteronomy 12, 23, uh, only be sure that thou... Eat not the blood, for the blood is the life, and thou mayest not eat the life with the flesh. Leviticus 19.26 uh, says the same thing, essentially abstain from pollutions of idols uh, in Acts chapter 15 and from things strangled from blood, uh, Acts 15.20. Uh, it would seem that they were reiterating the Old Testament prohibition against eating blood. Um, so, so just to summarize, what Nathan is getting at is that the prohibition of eating blood <clears throat> existed before Mosaic law back in the days of Noah it existed during Mosaic law. And then it's repeated uh, after the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, when the apostles said that the Gentiles should avoid eating blood specifically for the sake of present Jews. 
Yes. And, yep. and yeah, that, and that's kind of the answer it, to spoil it. That, that is kind of the answer. Oh. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Paul makes the case in Romans 14 that it doesn't matter really what they eat. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as the, the things offered to idols and, and so on. Um, <clears throat> so what Nathan's question is, is the Acts chapter 15 statement a reinstitution for the New Testament church? A prohibition from uh, from eating things with blood, well, and if so, why then is Romans fourteen almost contradictory to that? Yeah, I personally don't think Romans fourteen is contradictory to it. Um, I don't either, be, because um, because to to say it's offered to an idol is a wholly different uh, matter than it being bloody. Um, you know. Right. I think the guilt was by association in Romans 14 that, oh, this had been offered to an idol. This is practically idolatry. You know, this is eating something that had been part of a pagan ritual. Ooh, you know, mm -hmm. oh, I couldn't. But that's different than saying it's bloody meat. To me, that's just a totally separate issue. So it's not really. Uh, well, I mean, it, it was and it wasn't because it, the Jerusalem Council said both of those things, you know, abstain from, if I'm not mistaken, abstain from meat offered to idols and from things strangled and from blood. Am I reading that right? It says pollutions from of pollution idols. Of idols yep. Yeah. And from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So the Jews would be offended if the new Gentile converts were coming into the synagogues, having just come from lunch, eating a rare steak <laughs> or something. Um, and, and the prohibition in Acts 15 wasn't that the church was reinstituting a new prohibition against eating rare meat. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, it was that they need to be careful about offending the conscience of their Jewish brethren who were weaker in a sense in the faith because they still believed a lot of those religious rituals were necessary when they really weren't. Um, I'm going to question some of that a little bit is to say, I, I think, um, number one, to just automatically assume that uh, the matter of blood does equate to the rare stake um, is, uh, is sort of an assumption on our part. Um, but also in Acts 15, 20, it's, it is interesting and I'd have to study this out more, but he says, we say, well, basically he's just giving, and I understand cause I would say this too, but you know, he's basically giving us, um, some direction on not offending the Jewish brethren because the context says so, you know, that, that mm -hmm. basically they, there are some that still follow Moses, you know? Um, mm -hmm. but it's interesting. What does he mean then by, uh, if it's just a, uh. Uh, if it's just a don't offend them, then what does the phrase in that same verse um, and from fornication mean? Well, because we, two things can be true at once, <laughs> right? So you're he, saying abstain from this say, because it actually legitimately is wrong. And this right. here, it just looks wrong. Absolutely. But it's I all think two things can be true at statement. once. Yeah. And in fact, I think we do that all the time in, in the way that we speak. Um, we can have different different reasons in the very same sentence. Um so yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. But it doesn't give us a good foundation as uh, that verse doesn't explain the moral rightness or wrongness of a thing. Uh, if, if one thing is morally absolutely objectionable and the other one is just, oh, it's totally fine, but for, for the sake of appearance, don't do it. Um, well, I mean, we're just looking at the letter that they sent, um, north mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. uh, Antioch. Um, yeah, true. Um, but to go to the actual issue of uh, a rare steak, 
so we're saying, uh, I, I guess and this makes sound. I, I don't think silly. that's technically bloody in my personal opinion. What that was, I was going to ask um, that when, okay. Yeah. It's a red steak. Um, myoglobin. And we, what's that? It's myoglobin. Myoglobin. You know? okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than saying, if you like rare steak, what's the matter with you? Um, you know, <laughs> on a, I, on a, I love my steak rare. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And we yes. joke about saying, well, I like my meat actually dead, you know, or something like that, uh, indicating that, you know, if it's mine's rare, still mooing and it's, yeah, that's right. You can still hear the cowbell. <laughs> um, you'd be like, yeah, just, and, and I guess I do wonder what did he mean in the old Testament, um, by, don't eat blood. I mean, was, was that a reference to more than we understand it today? Like our only, seems like our only connection to that is literally a rare steak, but was it something, was it something pagan and like drinking blood or was it almost like the concept of eating it raw? Like you just tore into something and ate it raw or I think. Okay. Um, I think it was a fairly common in pagan rituals to utilize blood and consume it. Okay. Um, and, you know, the idea of, you know, just getting down on your hands and knees and, you know, biting the rump of some beast and, you know, tearing it off like you're some sort of T-Rex. Um, you know, whether that was a pagan practice or not, I doubt it. But eating things raw uh, might have been. Um, so for that reason, some suggest that maybe there was a, a uh, sort of backhanded health component that the Lord was trying to keep Israel healthy by not eating raw meat, um, mm. like an animal or like a beast would. In other words, I'm separating you from the animals. So don't eat raw meat. It, could that be? Yeah, I suppose it could be. Um, but I think it might've been more to do with keeping blood special. Mm. If I can say it that way, blood was used in sacrifice. And that's really why it existed prior to Mosaic law is because sacrifices existed prior to Mosaic law. So the prohibition from blood isn't necessarily tied to the Jewish law. It was before that because sacrifices existed ever since the Garden of Eden, right? Mm-hmm, After Adam mm-hmm, and Eve sinned. Mm-hmm. And if blood was a product you consume, I mean, because really when when people in the ancient world ate animal, right? They used a lot of it. <laughs> like there's mm-hmm, a lot of the mm-hmm. beasts that would be consumed, mm-hmm. all different parts. Um, and in some cases, even the blood. And the Lord is saying, well, the blood is the life of this animal that is given for a sacrifice. If you just also have that for lunch, that kind of profanes what is supposed to be seen as a special holy thing. So there was a separation given to keep it somewhat consecrated, I think. And the idea, I think there's still something, yeah, something in there about it being the life that you're kind of talking about. Yeah, something. So anyway bring it to the, and what I'm saying is the life that, um, yeah, going, going back to the idea of almost eating something living. Well, we, no, mm-hmm. we wouldn't do that. And so we're going to get away from that. But I think if by the time you, you have butchered out your meat and you're, you're partially cooking it, I, I think it'd be a little bit of a stretch to say, oh, I'm eating blood. Okay. Right. I mean, cause then, then you have to say, where's my line? Like, do I, do I, have to cook the fire out of everything, you know, like when it turned from red to gray, now it's sanctified. Well, did, right. did blood cook out of it or did something, um, did something, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, not chemically, but did something, uh, in the makeup of the meat change that turned it from red to, to, to gray, you know what I mean? But I didn't yeah. see blood come out of it necessarily. Um, 
Is that yeah. how that works when you cook a steak? I mean, are we cooking blood out of it or is it something just changing? Is it actually blood in there yeah. that's red? I, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think it's okay. it's it's a substance known as myoglobin, I think. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember the the term, I think, for when it sears like that and it turns that color. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's called a Maillard reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't recall. You, you correct me on that, listeners, if if I'm wrong. I think it's spelled like M-A-I-L-L-A-R-D. Um, but no, I don't think it's particularly blood. Though occasionally you'll see like a little vein or something, and you know what? It, depending on what you're eating, you right? Know, I mean, like, do I have it. do I have to but like no, pull I, out the veins out of my no. chicken drumstick? You know what I mean? No, no, and, I don't think so. And in fact, I don't even have a problem eating blood pudding. Have you ever had blood pudding? No, no, some people call it blood sausage. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I have had it. You know, when I was a kid, my grandmother would make uh, like Irish breakfast type items um, when we go over her house and she had blood pudding there. Um, Is it literally like made out of some sort of blood? Maybe yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's cooked. So it, uh, it, when you cook it, it turns a very mm -hmm. black kind of a color. Um, and it's got a unique taste. It's probably not for everyone. But no, I have no no issue with that. Um, I, and, I, again, and I have to say, what, I don't. I don't know if I would have an issue with that because I, honestly, it's not so much the Acts or the Leviticus. The Leviticus doesn't bother me um, because certain things I can say. Well, you know, certain things were distinct to them as a people that set them apart um, by these laws and codes. But pre-law, going back to was it Noah saying, "Here's all the animals you can eat them, but not the blood." Yeah. Well, to me, I would look at that more seriously and say, well, well, still today then, I I don't think I would want to eat the blood, though I don't think I am necessarily well, in a rare like state. Like I but say, I think it was because of the sacrificial things that were in place. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. So that's why I don't think there there's a necessity for even a prohibition against blood even today. Interesting. Um, I see. Yeah, because I think there was meant to be a separation where this is a special thing that's offered in sacrifice. And if if you eat this also, it's almost like using your Bible as a doorstop, you know, is not not mm -hmm, the exact mm -hmm. same thing. It's it's good, analogous good to analogy to what you're trying your, to say. Your Bible is 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 separate. It's consecrated. It's sacred. It's holy. It's for a particular thing. And then you use it for some normal purpose. Well, that's kind of weird. You wouldn't do that. So I think for that reason, while sacrifices were in place, to use blood as a food would profane something that's supposed to be viewed as holy. But we don't sacrifice anymore. Right. So I say, eat what you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and don't look down your nose at the brother, you know, the Christian today who still feels like he's morally obligated to eat well done meat. And sure. I say to the brother who feels morally obligated to eat well done meat, don't look down your nose at the brother who eats his steak rare, right? <laughs> you mm -hmm, know, because mm -hmm, there's really mm -hmm. no prohibition either way. Um, eat what you want. Interesting. Okay. Well, great. Uh, good question. Now, now you said that, did we miss a question there? Cause you said that tied into another one. Uh, yeah. This is from James and uh, he asks about the origin of things. And uh, he says, uh, how much should the origin of a story uh, or of a certain thing affect whether we use it or not? And he oh, says, that's... biblical example, food offered to idols. Okay. That's going to be a good discussion, but we're going to have to wait on that one because yeah. we're just about at time and we're going to have a fun discussion with that too. So yeah, I think we're going to have to move into our uh, after show. 
Indeed. And uh, I'm going to ask a question about how we represent sinners in the gospel. Um, okay. And whether we're yeah. compromising a little bit and how we present that. Yeah. Well, uh, just give give a quick preview of that, of the two different options you've written down there. Uh, it seems to me, and I've even used the term, and I like it to a point that, um, and I, but I could see it in, in more, I'd say, more evangelical or broader evangelical circles to describe people as broken. Um, okay. But that does take out, in some sense, a culpability. Yeah. Ooh, yeah you... Don't give it away. Don't give it oh, away. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, got, we, got to, we got to get people to become elite patrons with something, you know. <laughs> Folks, pretend you didn't hear that and that you have to now go become an elite patron to hear the rest of that. <laughs> We're not hiding the ball any. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. And as always, if you have a thought, a question of your own, we love these feedback questions and just uh, uh, ones that are coming from your own thought and study, uh, feel free to email them to us, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Once you get that in your your uh, your you know webmail address line and you've typed it once, it probably will remember it. And then the next time you have a question, it'll be that much easier. So please uh, send us your thoughts, disagreements, different questions, um, whatever it may be, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. Reason Together.